The Athletic. Totally football show today. Bergwijn probably means big win in Dutch. It certainly does in Leicester as Spurs make Leicester curse with late reverse. Meanwhile, Everton call it Operation Save Big Dunk. Hot political parallels ahoy as Team of Blues react to embarrassing form of the Premier. We round up all the midweek news, ask is Ericsson really coming back? Say cheer up Chelsea and catch up on all the latest from the ever more extraordinary Cup of Nations. It's all in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Right, listener, how are you doing? Here we are, Thursday, the 20th of January, with the sweet, sweet sound of Duncan Alexander. Hello. All right, Duncan, you got your Welshness in with your Tom Williams. Hello, James. And some rich and fruity Midland from Dan Bardell. Greetings. Nicely done, Dan. All right. How, how's everybody been? Busy midweek with the football. Mm, yes, yeah. less busy than we were anticipating. Um, with uh, Burnley Watford hitting the skids. But the other games more than made up for it. Three very entertaining matches, I thought. Goal-tastic. Yeah. Burnley Watford postponed for the second time uh, this season. The Clarets, as I'm sure Duncan will be eager to point out, now have six games in hand on Chelsea mm. in the race for second place. Has a team ever had six games in hand on another team, Duncan, in football? Uh, in football, yes. In the last in the top flight in the uh, in England in 1988, when Luton Town were six games behind Spurs, and earlier that month, April, they were seven games behind Spurs. So you know, were people wow. complaining about integrity back then, or just plastic pictures? I don't know, but or maybe both. I mean, I remember a few weeks ago, I said I really liked league tables where it's all disjointed, and and I was poo-pooed by thinkers right. on this podcast. But I like it because it gives. It's like Why a kind do you of, like it? Well, it gives a kind of sort of choose-your-own-adventure element to football where you can look at Burnley now and go, yeah, look, if they win all their games in hand, or if Spurs win all their games in hand, they go X, Y. Just, it's a little bit of variation. If the tortoise and the hare had both set out at the same time and both continued at a more or less constant rate their adventure on that mm. famous race, well, would anyone talk about that? I don't they think did, so. It's they only did set out at the same time. No, but they, yeah, they did. But the key thing I'm saying is they didn't keep going. Someone needs to revisit if, their fairy tale. If the hare thing. hadn't had games in hand, the hare was under the tree going, I've got games in hand, I'll do the catching up after. But it didn't work out that way. No, I'd say yeah, the sorry, tortoise I'd... had games in hand because he was behind. Did the... I don't know. No, the tortoise was ahead because the hare had sat under the tree. That's why the tortoise won. But initially the anyway. tortoise was behind. The tortoise was Yeah, the hare, the the hare sped off and hand. was like, I've got this... Right. The hand made the mistake the race of looking at the league table right. too much. Yeah. Only, yeah, only at the end of the race. The hair was like, I've got points in the bag. That tortoise won't win away at, at Watford, and the tortoise went away at what to Watford and won. So. Do you know, we're kidding, but there's a valid point here about games in hand, and particularly when you've got games in hand in an already congested fixture schedule, and you end up with, say, as Burnley might, six in the space of a Chelsea S six in three weeks or something like that. Still, Grace Robertson among the many uh, quipping, you can't get relegated if you don't complete the season with that meme of the guy well, tapping I think his you can. I mean, non, there's non-league teams that would say, <laughs> uh, yeah, actually. But, yeah, I see the point. 
It's put oh, me right. in mind. You remember on uh, the, the old FIFA 94 video game where you could run away from the ref when he tried to book you, mm. uh, nay, send you <laughs> off? I kind of feel like that's where, that's where Burnley are with uh, <laughs> trying to avoid relegation. But I mean, I think I may have been one of the so-called thinkers uh, who Duncan has just... Uh, has just trash talked. Um, who, mm. who you might have voiced an opinion that I prefer a nice, neat league table where all the teams have played mm. the same number of games. But you know where you are. Yeah. The deeper we get into this confusion, the more I find myself embracing the mm. chaos um, because this sort of thing hasn't happened for a long time, and it does it does bring a whole new dynamic to proceedings. Right, and there's nothing else to talk about. Uh, the confusion, though may be coming to an end with the pandemic, of course, because the Premier League are apparently going to have a big meeting after this weekend set of games with a kind of blank weekend coming up uh, seven days after that to decide how to avoid this kind of controversy about rescheduled matches that we've been talking about. Uh, but anyway, we'll see if that happens and how how um, effective any countermeasures have proved to be. Uh, the midweek games, as Tom was saying, goal-tastic. Tuesday, Brighton with another 1-1 draw against Chelsea. And then on Wednesday, Man United in very much a game of two halves, winning 3-1 at Brentford. And that extraordinary Spurs comeback at the King Power Stadium. Let's get stuck into that with some Leicester Spurs. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Tielemans, Hoybier, Kane, surely not another twist. Good ball from Kane. Bergvine is in. Is he going to win the game? He is! Steven Bergvine! I don't believe it! That is incredible! Leicester 2, Tottenham 3. Leicester were 2-1 up with 94 minutes and 52 seconds played at the King Power on Wednesday night. Dan Bardell, break it down for us. What on earth happened next? It's another tortoise in the hair situation. <laughs> Spurs should have been well out of sight in the first half, that they missed so many chances. I still can't work either of these sides out, but Tottenham looked very, very creative in the first half, but also Leicester are just a shambles at the back and have been all season. Some bad finishing from Harry Kane on a, on a couple of occasions. He could have quite easily had a hat-trick in the first half. And Spurs were really in the ascendancy. Leicester scored a goal on, on the breakthrough. Patson Dacker, questionable goalkeeping from Hugo Lloris. But I, what I, a little drag say. back in the box from Dacker before getting the pass away yeah. while falling over. And then getting back up. Or I'm not sure if he actually fell over, but then actually tucking it away. Sorry, yes. Yeah, he's he's a very good player, and he's he's come with a lot of pedigree because he's done well in the Champions League for Salzburg. I always thought he looked lively whenever I watched them play, which admittedly wasn't very often, but when I did, I was impressed with him. I was excited to see him in the Premier League. Probably not played as much as he would like, but Leicester they they never settled on a system. Mm. I know they've had tons of injuries, so they've had to change their eleven, and that probably plays into the system stuff as well. But they they just always look all over the place. I think Vestergaard's been a really, really poor signing. I think he adds to the, the mayhem at the back for them. And the final couple of minutes is obviously what everyone's going to talk about. That third goal, the, their stance, their body positioning from, from the restart, it's really, really strange. You can see from that kickoff, Spurs are like, there's, there's mm. still something to be had here. We can win this game. You can see the intensity. Leicester, it's the complete opposite. And it, it's a good through ball from Kane, but you know he's not reinvented the wheel with it. It's, it, it, it's pretty basic what, what they've done. 
Leicester just just allow it to happen. Tillemans looks off at the moment. I just mm. I, I don't get Leicester at all. All right. It's the highest number of goals, Dan, that Leicester have ever conceded after 19 games of a Premier League season, which, given that they've been relegated from the league three times, is quite something. The It may not have re- reinvented the wheel, uh, Spurs and Kane in that past, and Spurs generally in those last couple of minutes, but it kind of reinvented the Spurs, given our usual definition of who they are, to see them get that equaliser, not celebrate it, but then crack on and grab another one. Uh, Duncan, break it down for us statistically. How rare was this kind of last-minute turnaround? Well, up until now, the record in the Premier League for a team losing uh, in injury time but then winning the game was Manchester City beating QPR in 2012 with the, you know, Dzeko, Aguero double that some fans of football might remember. But um, this actually beats it, which is kind of sad in a way because that, 2012 game such a kind of pivotal Premier League moment, but it does show just how late into the game Tottenham were. But as Dan said, you know, the Spurs had so many chances. That was the sixth highest XG by an away team ever recorded in the Premier League, just over 4.5. Um, it's the highest by any Premier League team in any game this season. You know, even a draw would have would have really been uh, two drop points for Spurs based on those numbers. Um, and yeah, it, the, the restart for the third goal, like Dan said, but. I think Leicester thought the final whistle was going to go. You know, it was one one of those where Spurs were scored and the ref just... And and they almost... It looked like that. And then, you know, Kane and Bergwijn were awake. Um, And Sonchu, that last couple of minutes for him, you know, he obviously sort of went down dramatically when Bergwijn went near him. And then sort of that caused a little bit of aggro. He he was sort of semi at fault for both goals as well, or or you know could have could have maybe stopped them. You know, sort of pure karma delivered in in rapid succession. I think they did an Ajax to them a bit, no? Yeah, with that, I think Spurs fans should remember that that every team in football scores and concedes last minute winners at, at points. You know, there's this idea that it never happens to Spurs and Spurs are the team that always let them in. But every team, every club has its moments of uh, its famous last minute winners. And and the scenes there, that I mean that is essentially what football's about, particularly away from home. You know, the the joy of the Spurs players and the staff and the fans all together you know that that is the beauty of, of football. And you know, twelve months ago, no one had that because there were no fans there. So it was it was a nice mm. moment. Underlining the unlikeliness of it all was the fact that Stephen Bergwijn hadn't actually scored this season. He got one after almost ninety-five minutes, and then immediately another one to win the game. Extraordinary stuff. Uh, Tom, as a thinker, uh, is this evidence of, of of the fact that Conte has now contified uh, Spurs? I think I think it will help in in terms of what he's trying to build at Spurs. You need these foundation performances. You need these foundation results because we've all seen the upturn in performances and results since Conte's come in. You know, very quickly in terms of the kilometres covered per match, uh, etc. Um, they're now unbeaten in nine league games under him. Clearly moving in the right direction. The defeat against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup semi final felt like. Quite a significant setback because both games were so one-sided. I mean, it was only 3-0 on aggregate. It could have been 7 or 8 on aggregate. I mean, it, it really demonstrated the gulf between the two teams. And and I think in particular after the first leg, Conte seemed very crestfallen uh, and was, you know, sort of talking about, uh, you know, the size of the task in front of him and how no one should get, you know, get too carried away. But yeah, I, you know, I think this is further evidence that um, that Spurs are buying into what Conte wants from them. And, you know, when, when you get any any team... Um, you know, carrying on like that right to the last gasp. Uh, it, it's generally a good sign. But yeah, even, even before that, I mean, you know, what Dan was saying, the, the number of chances Spurs created, two cleared off the line in the first half, 
Kane hitting the bar. You know, it took them until the 97th minute, but it was it was a fully deserved uh, victory. Also, interesting uh, to see a game where more than one goal scorer had a face covered by a hand goal celebration. Uh, it was generally one of the more rare signature goal celebrations, but both Pats and Dakar, who just goes for hand over the face, and Stephen Burke. Is that an aliens sort tribute? Of like you a think? kind of. I'm not entirely sure. I've not looked into it. Stephen Bergwijn goes for kind of like you know, like the old like West Side like hand like. Oh right, sign. okay. And then with your dad, he Throw kind of up. puts that over his face. Mm. So one for niche celebration fans as well as all the drama at the end. What makes the the Carabao Cup semi final even stranger, as, as Thomas said, was is that Spurs are in really good form, as you said, and Chelsea aren't in good form in the Premier League. You know, Tottenham now. If they win their games in hand over Chelsea, they'll be four points ahead of Chelsea. So it just makes... If only there was a Spurs-Chelsea game coming up for us to... I know. Well, as if. Well. As if. I mean, we should point out that that Harry Kane is now... Only six players have scored more Premier League goals than him at the King Power Stadium, which is pretty decent, given that he's a Tottenham player. Oh, what? You mean so including Leicester players? Yes. So... We're just going to say just a flicker of positivity for Leicester after a pretty wretched okay. evening uh, in the return of James Justin, um, who uh, was out for 11 months with an ACL injury. Obviously, he was one of their, their key players prior to that, seemed to be on the fringes of, of the England squad. Um, and albeit uh, he was partly at fault for the Spurs equaliser, I think given the, the defensive problems that, that Leicester have had, they'll be, they'll be pleased to have him back. Can I just say, while we're talking about wing-backs as well, Emerson Royale. I, I, don't, I honestly don't know what he, what he is for Spurs. I cannot work him out at all. And when Doherty's coming on and, and looking at a lot better, I would say Spurs actually looked a bit more concise going forward with, with Doherty and the team. Royale got dragged at half-time. It's no wonder Conte wants to sign a right wing-back because it, I just can't see what he offers. He must have an unbelievable agent. <laughs> Royal needs to lose his title, perhaps. I don't know. Ah, <laughs> Yeah. Lovely stuff. Spurs taking on Chelsea on Sunday, Tom. Chelsea couldn't look more cream-crackered if they came in a big orange packet with Jacobs written on the side. Uh, They've kind of been on the football equivalent of one of those kind of forced marches. Except, being Chelsea, it's with a couple of really luxurious support coaches standing by that they just don't use. I mean, if if you take my analogy. Anyway, they uh, were playing yet another game on Tuesday. This time, it was away at the Amex against Brighton. They drew 1-1. How good were Brighton? Oh, brilliant. They're such a fun team to watch, Brighton. Um, and I feel like the last couple of seasons, because they're, you know, the results haven't, haven't been there, it, it sometimes felt a bit patronising, you know, sort of bigging up Brighton. But now I think, you know, the fact that they're getting the results they deserve, everyone can see what a fantastic team they are. And that, that really shone through against uh, an admittedly very leggy, uninspired Chelsea team who are of course you know still missing lots of key players um, but yeah very entertaining game and a cracking cracking header from Adam Webster for the equaliser mm. proper centre back bosh no messing around thumping um, header that's a thumping, thumping header, header I would say which is always a always always a treat and then it, and then after that I mean he was playing very well already but it was one of those games where someone scores a goal and then it was like he'd suddenly had like you know all his Weetabix. He went on that fantastic run in the second half where he kind of picks the ball up in the inside right channel on halfway and just runs in a straight line and gets all the way to the byline. And then he was sort of like, you know, very kind of smoothly sashaying past Chelsea 
players coming up to press him. Um, and Jamie Carragher said there isn't a better um, English centre-back in the league when it comes to passing the ball with both feet, which is high praise indeed. That is high praise. Or is it? I would... I would yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd, we'll go I'd, with I'd it repeat is. repeat what All I've right. just said, yeah. <laughs> OK, Brighton were, <laughs> Brighton were good. How miserable are Chelsea? Hakim Ziyech giving them the lead, then looking ready to burst into tears and having a bit of a, a discussion with Lukaku as they left the field at half-time. Lukaku got subbed off with 10 minutes to go. Everyone just looks fed up, including Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, I think that's that's the issue, isn't it? I think when a manager uh, is kind of vociferous again and again about how their team have been hard done by and it's it's really hard and the injuries and, and etc., then it does tend to filter down to the players who kind of can use that as a bit of an excuse. But you do wonder the... Obviously, they they patched up the situation with Lukaku, but it does seem to have, um, you know, caused a few morose faces in the, in the team. Um, Do you and, think it is yeah. just the fact that he's being negative publicly, and then therefore the team are getting negative? It feels like there's something more more to it. Well, obviously, they, they massively miss the you know ch- losing Chilwell and James, who were pivotal mm. to the way they play. It really has kind mm. of turned them from a quite a dynamic team into pretty pretty easily. Um, a team you can quite easily kind of predict what they're going to do and I think Brighton showed that but at the same time you look at the team and look at the squad they've still got lots of players who should be able to change games um, and, and they're not really doing that at the moment um, and yeah the title is long gone and it's interesting because we kind of said didn't we that the top three is set in stone and then it's a big battle for fourth I think Chelsea are well in the mix now um, there could be right. two places up for grabs and there is a, a very very hard chasing pack at the moment from I mean from Wolves upwards I mean Wolves are probably a little bit too far but United, Arsenal, Spurs, West Ham, Chelsea two of those Right That's Throw the... Brighton in there Duncan They're only eight points off the top four which is closer than Chelsea are to City Chelsea are now with without a win in four Premier League matches that's Thomas Tuchel's worst run as a manager in, in terms of league games since 2016 at Borussia Dortmund only one win in the last seven they're now closer uh, to fifth place than they are to the top of the table. Funnily enough, it is Spurs who are in fifth place, eight points behind them, which is a lot. But then Spurs have four games in hand, which tortoise and hare paradigm to hand is a lot, I'm reading. Tortoise too cool. <laughs> Chelsea have turned into a team of individuals for me. Mm. Spurs are going the opposite way, where they're now looking like a, a real team. They're turning into, into a unit. Chelsea just look like a lost bunch of individuals to me. You, I know they've had a few injuries, but it's almost, I said this before on this podcast, it's almost been too many team selection changes. They almost need two or three games where they have their settled back three, they have a settled front three or front two with someone playing off them and just, just get a bit of rhythm going again. The wing-back thing's valid because the two that come in to replace them, they're not the same type of player. So that, that's always going to affect but Chelsea. Alonso's but Alonso's still pretty dynamic, no? Maybe lacks a, li- a little bit of pace. Up, I would say I would describe him as a stodgy player. Okay, he's a bit stodgy. He'll, 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 he'll nick a few. He'll nick a few goals. I think he's got he's got a good delivery, but he's he's not as free flowing and fluid as Chilwell going forward. I, mm. I I would say, but they've they've definitely got problems. I think also, there's a few, it's almost like there's no leaders at Chelsea. Like there's big players who think they're leaders, mm. but I don't think they are leaders. Thiago Silva is 
But the other players that are there, like I say, it all feels a bit too individual at the moment. People out for themselves. Well, they've also got all those players whose contracts are ending as well. So, you know, Rudiger's yeah. a potential leader, but how are you going to lead when you, you possibly go... Could be a potential you know, lever. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. So, mm. yeah, it does. It's, it is amazing how quickly football clubs can turn around. And it is, you look at Guardiola and Klopp and they have such control over their squads and their, and their ethos at their clubs that I think they, they are kind of immune from this. But you look at, you know, Conte... Has, has come in, as Dan said, and done and turned it round in terms of attitude at Spurs. And Tuchel did that at Chelsea. But you know, is is that kind of quick fix slowly leaking away now? Well, as you say, things can change so very quickly. And a victory against Spurs would help Chelsea enormously in that regard this weekend. Spurs, one of the few teams that Chelsea patently can beat. They've done it twice in the past few weeks. In fact, Tuchel has faced Spurs four times as a Chelsea manager. He's won all four of those games without conceding so far a single goal. What do you think? Is it going to be a different story this time around? I feel like it could be. I feel like it could be that. The Chelsea we saw in the early months of Thomas Tuchel's tenure looked a completely different team to the one we're seeing now. They're no longer invulnerable defensively. They don't play with the same sort of 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 belief that they had I think one of the problems they have is that you know they are they're having to accommodate Romelu Lukaku and I wonder whether the way that that Tuchel had got Chelsea playing isn't particularly well suited to someone like Lukaku who is at his best when he's sort of breaking into space because you know Chelsea at their best they play very high up the pitch the centre backs follow their men you know deep into opposition territory and it doesn't leave a huge amount of room in behind and as a consequence we see Lukaku being used as a sort of target man with his back to goal, which, you know, we, we've mm. all seen him roll centre-backs, uh, which he does very well. But it's it's not what he's what he's mm. at his best at. And, it you know, we've gone from Chelsea looking like potential title winners to kind of falling off the, the pace in the title race to now being in a proper slump. Um, and as Duncan says, mm. that the thought of them getting sucked into the, you know, the sort of fourth-place picture... Um, you know, doesn't seem so inconceivable now. It actually feels, I mean, I said this a month or so ago, but it feels like um, Chelsea could really do with Harry Kane and Spurs could really do with Romelu Lukaku. So at half time, why don't they do a sensational Roar the Rovers style swap transfer deal and they, you know, sign contracts and it'd be, it'd be sensational if nothing else. I tell you what, I'd love to see someone sign a contract on the pitch again because you used to get mm. that. Remember when Brian Robson joined Man Brian United? Robson, yeah. Yeah, um, that was the classic one. Bring I think the nearest I've seen contracts. recently was Rafael Varane at the start of the season when they announced it before the opening game, didn't they? And they kind of paraded him yep. around, and that had that. It was nice, and it was a a long time since we've seen the sort of physical embodiment of a legal document. Anyway, Chelsea taking on Spurs on Sunday. Brighton and Leicester, two teams who've just been facing them midweek, will be taking on each other. Funnily enough, in a fixture which has not brought any joy to Brighton in the Premier League. Last time they won away at the King Power, it was in the Championship in 2014. A 4-1 victory. Oh. This game, I think, is... I think everyone can agree that the one missing thing in Brighton's team right now is a striker that can finish. And I think Patson yeah. Dacker, who we spoke about, is a really good player. And he's the sort of player that, that Brighton need to target, really. And I think that Leicester's title win and that that's one season in the Champions League, which gave them that kind of little... You know, boost up the the kind of hierarchy. I think Cache. that's yeah. I think that's the one 
thing Brighton are possibly missing at the moment. I think that's why a kind of top six finish, top eight finish for Brighton this season would be important because they would then be able to potentially go and get a player of the quality of Dakar, um, which could be your Your packs and Dakars. Hmm. Yeah, your packs and Dakars. If you're wondering when are they going to talk about Brentford Man United, the answer is later on, listener. So there's that. Tom just stormed off and Ralph Rennick's talking him round. So we'll get we'll get round to it, but so, yes, all of that very much will be up for discussion later on. Next up, let's get a quick check on the weekend's fixtures. Hi, listeners. It's me again, worming my way into your day. While Everton fans can finally breathe a sigh of relief after Rafa got his marching orders, who will the Toffees board turn to next listeners to lead them out of this sticky situation? Names like Martinez, Rooney and Lampard have been floating about. The vacant hot seat will be kept warm by big angry Duncan in the interim. Aston Villa, after their comeback last weekend, are unsurprisingly the favourites at 30 day to beat Everton this weekend. The Toffees are priced up at 17 to 10 and the draw is 9 to 4. Myself and producer Charlie are going to put a bet builder together. What's a bet builder? I hear you ask. An unattractive man who smokes fags and drinks tea all day in your house and charges you by the hour for it? No. It allows you to combine two or more selections, listeners, from within the same game into the one bet. I'm going to start off the process with over 2.5 goals in the match. Everton have conceded at least twice in eight of their last 12 in all competitions. At around even money, it looks a solid place to start. I think Villa to win looks fairly likely at 13-8. to We'll throw that in. Coutinho is all the rage after his equaliser last weekend and he looks good to score any time back on Merseyside at 100-30. A dodgy hotel has no clean sheets and Villa have only two in their last 10. So I think both teams to score here looks good at 8-11 to and that brings our bet builder to around 11-1. to Nice. If you don't agree with these picks or are running late for the game or quite frankly can't be bothered to do the homework, we've got a handy new tool for you online. Our most popular bet builders feature shows you you the most backed bet builders so in just two clicks you can stand on the shoulders of the shrewdies and finally listeners we are giving you a free five quid bet builder bet to be used on any premier league match this sunday prices are accurate at the time of recording it's over 18s t's and c's apply be and remember take time to think This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Friday night, your Premier League weekend kicks off with Watford continuing their a tour of the bottom three. This time, they are facing Norwich. Saturday lunchtime, Everton up against Aston Villa. Big dunk in the dugout. Stevie G back at his old rivals. Hashtag narrative. Then Man United 3-1 winners at Brentford midweek. will be hosting West Ham while the freshly beaten Bees take on Wolves. Leeds are up against Newcastle and Saints get a visit from Man City. Sunday, a bit like somebody leaving two tickets at the box office, even though they know they'll never be claimed, but they're still hoping. The Premier League is still inserting Arsenal and Burnley in the fixture list in the hope that maybe one day they'll show up and perhaps it'll be this weekend. Uh, also... On your schedule, you've got Crystal Palace taking on Liverpool, a fixture that Liverpool won 7-0 last season. And Leicester, smarting from that late, late twist against Tottenham, take on Brighton. And Spurs do Chelsea. Oh, yeah. Oh, Duncan, have you fired up your machine today, the big prediction analyst.com machine? Uh, I haven't done it yet. I will be doing it later, yes. All right, then. But I okay. can. Why, do you want some predictions? No, we'll just do analogue. We'll, 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 we'll go with brains. Mm. 
Can we apply our brains to Everton Aston Villa? Crikey. Dan, this is very much in your wheelhouse. I don't need to tell you about how dangerous it is to face a team who've just installed a new manager. And that's what Everton have done with big Duncan Ferguson. Yeah, very frustrating. It's frustrating that Rafa didn't get another week because it's now just a completely different game to, to, to what it would have been. It would have been a toxic, poisonous atmosphere as soon as yeah. someone misplaced a pass at Goodison Park. The Everton fans would have turned. Now they're just going to be f- full of encouragement. They're going to be really behind the team. So it's a really, really frustrating time as someone associated with Villa mm. to, to, to take them on. But yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of stories, a lot of hashtag narrative, as you said, around this game. You've got the Gerrard stuff. You've got, I mean, Duncan Ferguson probably hates Steven Gerrard. I'm imagining you've got Luca Dean coming back after joining a week or so ago, which now looks really, really stupid because if they were going to sack Benitez, why on earth did they sell him to Villa? It makes no sense at all. Coutinho, ex-Liverpool player, mm. probably going to start, I, I would say as well. So there's there's a lot going on for that game. I actually think it will be a really, really good game, potentially the game of the weekend. Right. Uh, Duncan Ferguson's previous stint as Everton manager, just before Carlo Ancelotti came in, saw him uh, in charge for three games in which they beat Frank Lampard's Chelsea and then drew with Man United and Arsenal. Pretty hot stuff from Big Dunk. By the way, is it true that Everton were also looking at getting uh, Frank Lampard in to uh, replace Benitez, in which case you would have had Stevie G against Lamps, etc.? I think I'd have preferred that. Mm. Really, yeah, no, I mean, I'd have definitely possibly. preferred that. Well, you never know, so. you never know. But there you go. Uh, so it's not been a great run of results for Aston Villa, the 2-2 with United notwithstanding, but loads of positives with the arrivals of Dean and Coutinho. Also, how good is Jacob Ramsey? Really good. He's. This is going to sound like an insult, but it's meant as a compliment. He's a bit of a Jude Bellingham light, mm. I would say. He's got a lot of the same traits that, that Jude Bellingham has, I think. He wasn't in the team at the start of the season and he came on at half-time of the first game where Watford went 3-0 up against us. But he looked a different player to what he did last season. He was always a bit tentative last season. He looked a bit scared to try things. Now he looks the real deal in there. He he can carry the ball. His passing's good. He's got a little bit of bite to him. He's added goals to his game now. He got an assist for Coutinho against Manchester United on Saturday. I think it would be a. I mean, he's only just broken into the England under twenty one side. I've heard murmurs of England in the week. I think that would be absolutely way too soon. There's a lot of players with pedigree ahead of him, but he's he's turning into a really really important player for Villa. Midfield was seen as Villa's weakest area before Gerrard came in, but I've got to say the improvement all round in the midfield since Steven Gerrard's taken over is there for everyone to see. It's night and day and got injuries in there at the moment, but Jacob Ramsey, as I say, is becoming a really really integral part of Aston Villa. Just one win in, in the last six, though, uh, and that was against Norwich. Is there a particular reason for that? Is it the injuries? I can't put my finger on, on what it is. The Brent, I remember the Brentford away game. That was a, a really, really poor performance. Well, I say it was a poor performance. I think Brentford had two shots and, and won two, one, but Villa didn't do enough in the second half, and that was a frustrating game. But I think overall the Villa fans are quite galvanised with, with what's going on. We, we look like we're operating in, in, in kind of a different arena now. Mm. Bringing in players like Luca Dean and Philip Coutinho, I loved Dean Smith, but you know players like that aren't coming unless it's for Steven Gerrard. He's given Villa a bit of bit of a wow factor again, and he and he means business, and he knows what he wants, and he'll go to Christian Persler, and he'll he'll probably get it because he's Steven Gerrard. I don't think Villa are finished in January by any stretch of the imagination. They're kind of debunking the myth that it's difficult to get people in 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 January. But I think the Villa fact it's the style of football, it's the way Villa are playing now. Gerrard's come in with a set plan straight away. 
And you just you can just tell what he wants. He wants intense football. He operates with the two narrow tens behind a striker. The only problem we've got at the moment is kind of Ings and Watkins. But I would say when they're not playing together, that's a positive problem because that that's two good finishers in your in your in your armourer. For me, I mean, you'll know much more, Dan. It feels to me like Watkins offers a lot more to the team overall. But then Ings is such a good finisher that you know that's what you get from him, and possibly it is a kind of fixture by fixture. Uh, decision for Gerard yeah. to make. I feel like Gerard really wants Ings in. He really wants Ings. I think he wants him to be his man. But he, I think he knows Watkins does a better job for the team at the moment. But I get the impression that Stephen Gerard really wants Ings to be the main man. Because if you've got Coutinho linking up with Ings, getting the ball in the penalty area, Ings is the better finisher. Ings is one of the best finishers in 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 the Premier League. But it's going to be interesting because Watkins, he just leads the line generally so well, but they're, they're quite similar in the way they press and stuff, so playing them together just hasn't worked at yeah. all. Yeah, that really hasn't. I mean, obviously there's rumours that Villa are after Luis Suarez, which um, yeah. Gerard can get. Do it, I mean, obviously, do it. They had Coutinho, Suarez and Sterling at Liverpool. I mean, Villa have got cash, which is kind of like Sterling, I guess, but um, yeah, it'd be, <laughs> be nice to see. Very good. <laughs> so, um, all right, but Everton... Against all of that, have big Duncan Ferguson, Tom. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I mean, you get the odd sort of sleepy Saturday lunchtime game, don't you? But, you know, Everton will be well up for this. Duncan Ferguson is the sort of ideal uh, short-term interim manager because quite apart from his, his coaching acumen, we know that, you know, he's worked with, with you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, for example, and, and, and you know, really helped him in, in certain areas. But just putting that aside, his... His uh, status as a kind of club icon, the sort of player he was, is, is just perfect for, for sort of drawing a line beneath the, the Benitez era uh, and moving on to something new. And of course, we, you know, we remember the, the incredible impact he had when he came in pre-Carlo Ancelotti and the way that the, you know, that the whole stadium got behind him, you know, picking up ball boys and charging up and down the touchline, that sort of thing. And I think, you, you know, you look at Everton and the fact that you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is now back. Richarlison came off the bench uh, against Norwich uh, and scored that lovely overhead kick. So they've got players coming back as well. Um, and, you know, Duncan Ferguson will have them, you know, will, will, will have them up and, and ready for it. I, I kind of worry slightly that there's a danger that, that, that Everton just sort of like rush into this fixture like headless chickens uh, and end up getting getting picked off by by a Villa team who are much further along in their new manager evolution than than obviously Everton will be but I think it's got the um it's got the hashtag ingredients for a really tasty uh, tasty little dust up sorry I went a bit Danny Dyer nice. there didn't I <laughs> uh, I like what, it what can I say I like it <laughs> Watford are taking on Norwich on Friday as I mentioned they're the next team down from Everton you know Everton do have a five-point cushion on them at the moment and a bunch of games in hand. Uh, Funnily enough, Watford are going to be taking on the team who beat Everton last weekend and brought to an end Rafa Benitez's reign at Goodison. And that's Norwich. Watford have gone seven league games without a win. Woof. Duncan. I mean, since the start of November, Norwich have only won one Premier League game fewer than Chelsea, which possibly says more about Chelsea (laughs) than it does about Norwich. But they are, you know, they're... Again, a bit like the top four race, um, the the relegation zone. Isn't, sometimes it can just be three teams that are adrift, and it's a bit a bit dull. But how many this time? Definitely four. Depending four. on what happens to Everton, could be five. Um, Do you reckon? Yeah, I mean they're five points clear, but they have so many games in hand as well. Yeah, but it's the old tortoise and the hare, isn't it? 
So yeah, that's true. Duncan Ferguson they can't have games. They can't have games in hand on Burnley, surely. Duncan Ferguson would scare a tortoise so much it wouldn't come out of its shell. So you you just can't predict what's going right. to happen. Yeah. You can't. Okay. Can I just say about Watford? I mean, they've gone seven games without a win. Their record's been pitiful over the last few months. Claudio Ranieri still being there is the equivalent of a normal football club giving a manager like two or three years. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I right. cannot believe he's still there. Yeah. It's like dog years, you feel. Watford, <laughs> yeah. Watford games. Hmm. Uh, Burnley. Uh, mentioned that they scheduled to be taking on Arsenal Newcastle meanwhile are visiting Leeds from that cluster of teams that Duncan was talking about at the bottom a fixture that Leeds won 5-2 last season Newcastle who are of course yet to win away from home this season they've also been busy in January like Villa and are still getting busy uh, defender Diego Carlos a lot of talk that he might be abandoning uh, Sevilla's title tilt in La Liga, to have a go at, at helping Newcastle out. Uh, has anyone got any latest info on that? don't have any info, um, but mm. I remember from Diego Carlos's speller at Nantes that he is a proper sort of old-school, rugged scrapper of a centre-back, um, which mm. is probably the sort of character that you want in a, in a relegation dogfight, or at least it is in, you know, English football cliché, whether that actually translates into... Good performances uh, remains to be seen. But yeah, they could, and they could do with that sort of defending, I suspect, at Ellen Road, because Leeds have finally shown up. Back-to-back wins, 3-1 at home to Burnley, 3-2 away at West Ham. And I think, I think we, we probably suspected this would happen at some point, you know, given the amount of quality they have. But just in the space of those two games, you know, they've kind of got their season up and running. They are now, what, nine points clear of the relegation zone. They've got games in hand on some of the teams above them and you would have thought particularly with players coming back from injury that they will now you know sort of continue on this on this trajectory and 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 hold themselves up into the into the top half which I think is probably you know where they you know where they deserve to be all things being equal in terms of the quality of football they play and, and the quality of, of player they have top half finish for for Leeds you feel Tom I think it's conceivable. They are 15th at the moment on 22 points. They're three points behind Leicester, who are in 10th, albeit Leicester have played a game more. Um, And I think that that kind of, the um, they call it the ventre mou in French, the kind of like the the flabby midsection. Um, Hmm. Those teams are all quite close together. Uh, There are three points between Leicester in 10th and Leeds in 15th. Obviously, not all of those teams have played the same amount of games, but you, you think if, you know, obviously Villa are in there, Brentford, Southampton mm. Palace as well, um, you think if one of those teams can put a bit of a run together, they could they could move up the standings quite quickly. Could you have a massive sun trial if you've got like loads of teams in mid-table? You know, I've condensed? not. Uh, to date, I have not yet heard of... Um, the league on table being described as the massive central. <laughs> Although I, I did discover a bit of new French footy vocab the other day. Um, All right. After, uh, Say it in French, and then we have to guess. Can we do it that way? Uh, Nutella. Ah, that's uh, well. It's a chocolate spread made out of hazelnuts. Actually, not featuring chocolate, but with hazelnuts and a bit of cocoa. Uh, supposedly, that was invented during the war. Um, by I think by the Ferreira family uh, because they didn't have any chocolate so they managed to make a chocolate it was a so- chocolate substitute made it's hazelnuts. famously the ketchup of professional cycling um, you know how football managers ban ketchup uh, cycling mm. managers ban Nutella because obviously breakfast is a key part of, of pro cycling and you know to do the same thing to come in and, and stop the lads eating Nutella is a, is a big move 
I had visions of cyclists sitting around dipping chips into a pot of Nutella there for a moment. <laughs> I mean, wow, that'd be amazing. It'd be nice. Chips and Nutella. Um, but uh, but no, I suspect that in football terms, Nutella means something else. It sort of means something done with a certain kind of like a certain style, something done sort of like slickly and effectively. Uh, and it was it was used by a used by a French commentator during uh, Rennes' six nil uh, annihilation mm. of Bordeaux at the weekend after they scored a particularly nicely constructed goal. Oh, Nutella. Was it Bordeaux are in the Nutella now or something like that? Not specifically, because that is quite the taste right. combination. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, what, what, what does it mean then? So yeah, you'd, I, I'm, I don't think it's specifically a football term, actually. It's something oh, right, you do. Okay. If, if someone does something slickly and effectively and with a certain flourish, you'd be like, ah, oh, Nutella. Brilliant sort of thing. Nutella. Really? Mm. Yeah. Because Nutella is the, I mean, the best, isn't it? I think can we? I don't we know. Can, I mean, you know, I like that. it and stuff. I'm just a bit surprised that an, a commentator would would use a brand name as his, his. But anyway, is it just him, or is that a kind of commonly used argot? No, I think you, I think I think you would hear it, and not just in a football in a oh, football Nutella. set. And Nutella is a much more significant part of the French diet than it is of right. the British diet. Well, we talk so about a marmite will... player or a marmite question, so, for example. You know, for yeah. example, we also talk about jaffa cakes. That's right, Jaffa Cakes. Anyway, Arsenal-Burnley. Burnley won this fixture last season. And that was their first victory over the Gunners since 1974. They haven't won a game away from home this season. Uh, they will be taking on an Arsenal side, if if they are taking on an Arsenal side, that is fresh uh, from a Thursday night Carabao Cup semi-final second leg. Remember their nil-nil with Liverpool from the first match at the Emirates. Duncan, you're nodding as if you're about to drop something on this. I've, I was just going to say, I've never seen either of these two clubs play a league game, so it's quite hard to predict <laughs> how it's going to go. <laughs> well, in Arsenal's favour is the fact that they may have Thomas Partey back for this game because uh, his Ghana got kicked out of uh, AFCON, which means remarkably that if he plays, he will have participated in the group stage of AFCON and still not missed a single Premier League game in the meantime. I say Thomas Party, Thomas work event, of course. <laughs> Hashtag banter. Um, all right, producer Charlie, who is of that persuasion, reports that Flight Tracker, which he's had up during this uh, recording, uh, informs him that Thomas Party has now touched down in London, so it's on. It's, it's almost on. quite convenient, isn't it? I don't want to upset Mikhail Arteta, but it's almost quite convenient that he's not missed a single league well, while you know, lost away at Afghan. Indeed. It's it's the silver lining to the cloud of the illness and injuries that uh, poor Arsenal have been struggling with. So that's, that's nice then. Next up, let's talk about Brentford and Christian Eriksen. So as we all know at Paddy Power, we like giving back to our punters. So team, uh, let's hear some ideas. Ian, what about a free £5 bet builder on a top six clash? Yeah, I might get postponed. Yeah, what about a free £5 bet builder on a 12.30 kickoff? Yeah, but might also get postponed. It's Paddy's Law with free bets on specific games these days. So for this Sunday only, we're offering a free £5 bet builder on any Premier League game. Paddy Power! Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Min two plus legs. Max one free £5 bet per customer. Must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right, Brentford, a game with Wolves on Saturday, a defeat to Man United midweek, a plan to bring in the fellow who died last time he was on a football pitch, uh, Christian Eriksen and a six-month contract at uh, the Bees. So he's 29 years of age. He hasn't played since suffering that cardiac arrest during Denmark's game with Finland at the Euros. He's become a free agent now because since he's had a device uh, fitted to his heart, he can no longer play in Italy, where he had a contract with Inter. Uh, what, what do you think? I think it's a sensible, sensible transfer, I think. Do you think so? I think so. I think it's win-win for, for both, really. There'll be no pressure to, to play him. You know, If he's not up to it, they, they won't have to play him. He'll be in a, an arena where there's a, a lot of his fellow countrymen. Mm. Brentford are a really good club. Brentford aren't going to go down. They'll be looking ahead to next season and wanting to bring in a different level of player if they can get Ericsson right. He is a different level of player, and he'll already be in the building. I think it's I think it's sensible on both sides. I do. I can see the football side of it, as you say, the heavy Danish presence in the side. He's worked with Thomas Frank before in the uh, national team youth setup, and he clearly answers a, a a lack of creativity in the team that they've talked about. But it's just the fact that last time he was on that football pitch, he had that cardiac arrest, and we all feared the worst, and he and everybody feared the worst, and. Everyone was so relieved when the next day he was talking in his hospital bed. If you'd said at that point in six months' time, what do you think about him running around in a professional football match? I don't know. It just seems... I'm just surprised. I mean, delighted if it's possible. I guess I'm just surprised. Because Fabrice Mwamba, for example, there was no way he was coming back to play again. No, but he was out for a lot longer, wasn't he? He was at sort of 70, 80 minutes, I think. But um, Right, OK. But, I mean, you assume that, obviously... All, all the medical checks will have been done, but I think you're right that there there will be a certain kind of kind of awkwardness when you watch him play, and just because you know what happened in it, and I guess that right. will, that will kind of dissipate as time goes on, and it and it becomes apparent that it's going to be okay. But it, I think the first couple of games um, will will seem a bit bit strange, yeah. But I mean, there is precedent in that Daily Blint had uh, a similar sort of pacemaker device fitted um, after mm. I think he he collapsed. Um, no, he, yeah, he uh, felt at some point, faint, and, and he's and he's mm. still he's still playing. Um, and yeah, as Duncan That's says, true. you know, they're not going to do it if there's any any tiny risk, is there? And I think given that you know, given that awful awful experience that. Um, yeah, we all had watching it, and his, you know, his his Denmark team teammates had seeing what happened. Um, I think it would be, you know, the, the thought of Christian Eriksen being able to resume his career, you know, in a city that that he knows well, in a, in a league that he knows well, where he's very, where he's, you know, admired and respected. Um, you know, would be a great good news story. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And as you say, Dan, it does seem like the perfect setting uh, for him, as, as Tom was saying, but also with that that whole kind of like Danish family. Well, Brentford are taking on Wolves uh, this weekend. They got beat 3-1 Wednesday by Man United. What happened here? I didn't see this game, but reports spoke of a a massive game of two halves quality to this one. Yeah, it was a classic game of two halves in the sense that Brentford dominated the first half. Um, Man United once again uh, reliant on, on David De Gea to, to keep them in the game, made a couple of saves from Matthias Jensen. Um, and then second half, completely different performance from Man United, much more purposeful um, and scored three really nicely taken goals. Uh, and so over the course of the last two matches, United have managed to produce their first 
coherent 90 minutes um, of pretty much the whole season. Uh, they've just unfortunately done it on two separate occasions. So I guess the challenge now mm. is, is for them to, to reproduce that in one single game. But and you could see how frustrated Thomas Frank was after the game, sort of lashing out left, right and centre. He obviously felt that the outcome of the game wasn't a fair reflection uh, on his team's performance. And I think the, the stats backed that up in, in terms of the XG. I think both teams were quite close and you saw all the opportunities that, that Brentford had uh, in the first half. Um, so yeah, a bit of a... But bit of a bit of a bitter one for for Brentford, but positive signs for United. What, what happened then? So, what was the difference for Man United? Was it, did he just get stuck into them at half time? I mean, that's that's the sort of obvious conclusion to draw. Um, I guess but tactically, was it a, a big shift in the second half? No, I don't think he changed anything. The break did he? He he made, he made a change later on. He switched to a back five uh, when Harry Maguire came on for Ronaldo. But then I mean, they seemed to approach the second half in pretty much the same way. We're just kind of getting the ball forward a bit more quickly. You saw that with you know the, the combinations yeah. for, for all three. I mean, they're all quite nicely created goals. I mean, the, the pass over the top from Fred for for Alanga's first, and then you had that chested layoff from Ronaldo to Fernandez for the second, uh, and then that dart through the middle from McTominay for the third. And I think what played into United's hands was that having got the first goal, Brentford were then obviously obliged to to come at them and and, and left space in behind, and they and they they picked them off quite successfully. I mean, if you look at United's pass completion rate, first half was 83% and they had nearly 70% possession. Um, the second half, as Tom says, that dropped passing down to 75 and possession below 50. So they were, and we know that this United team is good when they can play on the break. And that's what, mm. as, as Brentford became more desperate. And, and like you say, it's a very un-Premier League manager style interview from Frank after the game because... He was re- it was like a fan TV thing. From my point of view, I know in the end that you need to score on your chances. There can only be one winner of this game. A maximum a draw that deserved uh, Man United. I think they're unbelievable lucky. Um, and of course you need to take your chances and I know all that crap. United had to change their shape because of little Brentford. But, and it was, he really didn't like losing that game. And, you know, fair enough. Right. They, they probably should have got something out of it. But... But um, at least he wasn't as cross as Ronaldo, I guess. So swings around Ronaldo. Things no one likes to see. Ronaldo going off in a half, having a bit of a strife on the bench. <laughs> I enjoyed Ralph yeah. Ranić as he was talking to him, holding Ronaldo's um, yes. calf, like just rubbing his calf. Now, I was curious but... about that. It, it seemed like a kind of—I'm not going to call it like a kind of jujitsu move—but it did seem to, in some way, effectively diffuse. Just kind of one of those. I wondered if it was saying that Ranić, who's clearly someone who's explored all the aspects of management. Mm. That it's something about the body language that by leaning across him that way, and I think I think he gripped his forearm as well. It essentially yeah. just imposed in the same way that a dog lies on your feet to uh, just assert the fact that he's above <laughs> you in the pecking order. I, I I mean that's the same kind of principle, I think. I mean, when you have to look after you know toddlers who throw tantrums every five minutes, you know you, you do you do have opportunities to to work out the best way of of becoming them. And obviously, Ralph Rangnick is right. You know, is is getting there with Ronaldo. He certainly is. He's a smart man. He's got the very best of people helping him. Man United, of course, uh, wanted to keep Ronaldo nice and fresh for another particularly interesting game this weekend. Man United taking on West Ham Saturday at three o'clock. Dan, fish out your narrative klaxon and sound it for the return of David Moyes. Yeah, interesting matchup against a few good games this weekend, actually, looking at it. Mm. I think what Ranić's done that's quite clever at the moment is putting a langer in from nowhere. I think sometimes when you put in a fresh Sweden, base, a, I think it's a, cool. a youthful presence, 
Yeah, sometimes when you put in um, like a someone from who basically come through the academy into the team, it, it it gives a freshness to the team. It gives the fans a lift. I think he's come in and been a massive part of why they have looked fluid in those separate two halves of, of football. I think he, the way they want to play, I think I think he suits it more so than perhaps some of the other players that would play wide. I mean, obviously he's playing ahead of Sancho at the moment. Again, Thomas Frank's dig at him. I thought was a little bit off, a, a little bit bizarre at, at the at the end of the what game. What did he say but, about Sancho? He just referenced Sancho. They had this seventy-five million pound on, on on the bench on the bench, and you know he fitted in with with everything else he was saying in in, in that post match. But I thought singling out Sancho was a, was a little bit weird when there was all kinds of expensive players playing for Manchester United, and Sancho's probably a little bit down in the dumps as is at the moment. I don't think mm. he needed to be picked on individually. But it was three academy players that scored for Manchester United against Brentford as well, which is again is something that the fans will really like. They'll really get on side with. They just need to do the two halves of football, as, as, as was said. Will it happen this weekend against West Ham? You remember the reverse fixture in September? What drama? Jesse Lingard scored an 89th-minute goal to put United ahead. Then West Ham were awarded a penalty in stoppage time. Mark Noble came off the bench specifically to take the spot kick. Noble! Saved by De Gea! There's only touch in the game. So not successful. I mean, obviously, there's that long-running David Moyes against the heritage big four, uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United. He's never won an away game as a manager. That's 64 games now. Oh, he did in the Carabao Cup earlier this season. Yeah, and this is Premier League. And it's one of those kind of long-running long running things that, that must end someday. Maybe, maybe this is the time. Wow. If United beat West Ham on Saturday, they'll be going fourth, fourth. And this is where this this is where the kind of the, the chaos of all the um you know all the postponed games really brings itself to bear in the sense that it's only because United have managed to fulfil their fixtures that they find themselves in a position to potentially go fourth in the table as early as Saturday. And like psychologically, that gives everyone a big lift because fourth place is now basically what United are aiming for. Um, you know, mm. regardless of what Ronaldo might have said about top three although as we said you know with Chelsea slipping back you know maybe that that does come into play but that you know for a club like United who have had such a wretched season to now be within touching distance of of, of the top four um is 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 massive really and and if you know if they do win that game and get into the top four it will be a false position because the teams below them um have uh, have had more postponements than they have um but it, it will it will at least will make it? it look like they're on the right Track. Well, or will it? Towards, towards the See, head. now you're yeah, seeing the beautiful again. drama of a disjointed league. I, th- I am, I am them. No, completely. I am fine. I've, I've come mm. round to the chaos. I'm embracing the chaos. I don't like it. I, st- I, I don't like <laughs> looking at the lead table and not knowing what's going on. Just, just FYI. I'm with you, Dan. All right. Uh, loads more to come, including a proper look uh, with Maher Mazahi at the extraordinary Africa Cup of Nations. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Free match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match shots. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. Totally Football League show is out on ooh, Thursday. Ooh, today. There you go. That's a treat. No doubt they'll be looking ahead to Nottingham Forest's clash with Derby in the Championship. That's a Saturday lunchtime game. Poor old Derby, who are a week away from disaster. Brackets, Mike Ashley taking over. But also the potential of them going under. Uh, anyway, much more on that in the Totally Football League show. And I'm sure they'll be talking about Fulham. And their incredible goal-scoring run. They're like Ajax or something. They've had back-to-back 6 twos. And that, that, that was following a 7-0 win over Reading. 19 goals in the last three championship games. Are they on course for a record, Duncan? Yeah, the record is uh, it's Peterborough back in the 1960s. In fact, the last, um, the last player in English football to score 50 or more league goals in a season was the legendary Terry Bly of Peterborough back in 1960-61. Uh, and obviously Mitrovic, his current rate, obviously didn't score strangely in the, in the midweek game, but he has got a, an outside chance of reaching 50, which is incredibly rare, rare territory. Mm. But um, yeah, that was the first time a team had won 6-2-6-2, the women's tennis double since Burnley back in the, uh, in the 1960s. So it is, they're in okay. pretty rare form. Peterborough's record in 1960-61 was 134 goals. Currently, Fulham are on 70 goals. They've played 26 league games. They've got 20 matches left to try and get the 54 goals that, 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 that they would need to equal that record. Duncan. It's mad to think this time next year they'll have scored 14 goals in the Premier League and be on their third manager, but it is what it is. Mm, but how many games will they have in hand? One. 
Other Premier League fixtures coming up this weekend include Crystal Palace against Liverpool. 7-0 to Liverpool at Selhurst Park last season. In fact, Liverpool have won their last nine meetings with Palace. With Sadio Mane scoring in all nine of those. The good news for Palace is he won't be doing that this weekend because he's literally not there because of AFCON. Saints are up against Man City. It was nil-nil between these two teams at the Etihad in September. And as mentioned, Leicester are up against uh, Brighton. Uh, let's talk about AFCON, though, because it's extraordinary to think that not long ago, this was the tournament people were regarding as a bit of an inconvenience and hoping it wouldn't take place. But instead, it's been utterly uh, brilliant. Uh, Thursday today is the final day of the group stages, so the last six spots in the last 16 will be sorted out. Already we know that Burkina Faso are through. They'll be taking on Gabon on Sunday. Nigeria as well, the only team to win all three matches so far. Uh, Guinea will be taking on host Cameroon in the last 16. Senegal have qualified, despite the fact that their only goal in their three matches so far was one injury time penalty. Uh, they'll take on Cape Verde on Tuesday. Morocco are through. They're up against Malawi. And Egypt have made it to the 16. Not in that list, of course, are Ghana, who've been knocked out crashed out in the group stages at AFCON for the first time in 16 years. As predicted, Dan, in a an athletic AFCON podcast that you were taking part in this week. It was last week, the Athletic Football Podcast. We just did a, a, basically a look at AFCON and why it's so important and what it what it means to, to various people. It was really, really interesting, actually. I was fascinated by some of the stuff Carl Anker was saying. But Jay Harris called that Comoros would not garner out I mean, Carl's one of the nicest guys going. I wouldn't say he scoffed at it or belittled it, but I could tell he just he didn't see it on the horizon at all. So I'd have loved to have been in Carl's house when, when, when that happened because I think he would be very, very, very upset. But he was warned, he was told. Well, a lot of very upset people in uh, houses all over Ghana when uh, the Black Stars, as I say, crashed out to the extremely unfancied, by everybody except Jay Harris, Comoros. Uh, let's get the details on all of that and more from our man in Cameroon, Maher Mazahi. Maher, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Not at all. Have you made it out of your Airbnb uh, <laughs> since we last spoke with the scaffolding issue? I have, I have. It would have been a very, very sad week had I not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it has been quite a sad week for some fans. We were just talking about Ghana. Uh, one of the many surprises and shocks that's been going on since we last spoke. Uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about, really. W where do you want to start? I'll start by saying I think that in this tournament, I, I think it, it came one or two years too early for Ghana. That's what I would say. Um, I'm strictly speaking about their talent. When you look at players like Mohamed Kudus at Ajax or Kamaldin Suleimana at Rennes, even they have this really talented 17-year-old. Uh, his name is Abdul Fatahou Isahaku. All these guys are just a little too fresh, a little too raw for me. I think with one or two uh, more years of experience playing in Europe, I think they would have been more mature and they would have had a better, uh, they would have had better performances at this Afcon. Second thing I would say is why in the world did they appoint Milovan Rajevac, uh, Serbian caretaker? I understand the nostalgia. He's the coach that took them to the quarterfinal in 2010. Remember the Luis Suarez handball away from being the first African side to make it to a semifinal. But let me tell you an anecdote about him because he coached Algeria in 2016 and he lasted two matches. Is he the guy with the with the Glock in his? No, that's not. This is another Yugo. Ah, <laughs> this is another right, Serbian. Right. <laughs> it was a Serbian. Right. The other guy was Bosnian. Milovan Rajevac, when he was coaching Algeria, he lasted two matches. 
And the reason why is that the players revolted because he would, first of all, not call players by their name. So he would call Raiz and Boli the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper, goalkeeper, pretty much. And he would play Sofian Feguli, who is otherwise known as a winger or a central attacking midfielder, uh, as a right back and apparently even for one training session as a center half. And the players basically went to the federation president and told him, get this guy out of here. He cannot communicate with us. He doesn't appreciate who we are. And he doesn't know our position. So uh, after the Algeria job, he coached Thailand for two years. And now, for some reason, Ghana thought it would be a good idea to hire him again. So for me, it's a pretty logical elimination. Right. Okay. Well, uh, they go out at the hands of Comoros, which for many people wasn't that logical. Comoros, who had never scored a goal at AFCON before and winning 3-2 in this crucial group stage match. Yeah, they're, they're debutants. They have a really cool mascot name. That's one thing everybody loves about Comoros. They're called the Coelocanths. It's a prehistoric fish. Um, but they are actually not that bad of a side, even though they're debutants. Since t- the, over the last decade, they've uh, recruited very well from uh, their diaspora. They have around 100,000 to 150,000 Comorians living mostly in southern France in the Marseille region. Uh, and so a lot of these players were born and raised in France. They came up through French footballing academies and they play in the second division. So tactically pretty sound. Uh, and I'm not surprised that they managed to beat Ghana. Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see. That. So they're, they're in with a shout still as we record this for a place in the last 16. Ghana going out. Algeria also on Thursday facing a uh, absolutely crucial match against Ivory Coast, which will have happened by the time you hear this, uh, listener. Uh, Ivory Coast 2's keeper has been having a a terrible yeah. week yeah badra ali sangare he uh <laughs> i'm sorry to laugh because uh, i was laughing at the footballing mistake not the personal tragedy but basically mm, abs- um uh, ivorian defender uh, Odion kosun who plays at leverkusen i believe tried to head the ball back to him he headed it way too way too hard way too powerful badra ali sangare tried to fall on the ball to prevent it from going out for a corner kick and it sort of slipped under his armpit sierra leone equalized in the, in the last minute really and then, as uh, you know, as all goalkeepers do when they're really embarrassed, he pretended to have an injury. But then the next morning, really, that's that was really was a tragic moment. Um, he uh, his father passed away. Um, that was a really sad moment for him. However, the coach said in a press conference yesterday, he said that he is eligible to play to, uh, today. Um, just wonder what kind of frame of mind he's in. So he's not supposed to be the starter. The starter is uh, Gbuhu, Sylvain Gbuhu. But the problem with him is that he tested positive for a, a banned substance in Ethiopia. Uh, something that they prescribed for angina. So uh, now we have uh, Badra Ali Sangare. So Sierra Leone and uh, also Equatorial Guinea are in the mix as we record for last 16. Equatorial Guinea, who defeated the defending champions Algeria 1-0 the same day that Sierra Leone had that 2-2 draw with Ivory Coast, a uh, Sunday of real surprises. Um, There have been so many. I think amongst them, we should probably mention Gabon. Gabon is a crazy story. I mean, I wrote an article uh, about Gabon and the Athletic this week, and uh, nobody expected them to be where they are today. I mean, think of as shambolic a preparation as you can, and I guarantee you this Gabon side, they had an even worse run of it. Um, It started with a sexual abuse scandal that broke out um, about two months ago. It was revealed in The Guardian by Romain Molina and Ed Ahrens um, that a a coach, the under-17, under-20 coach, had abused uh, many of his players uh, for decades, really. Um, so that's horrific. And one of the problems is that some of the Gabonese stars, like a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang or a Mario Lamina, didn't really speak up about this issue, even though the president of the republic himself did, saying that pedophilia is, an, is a heinous crime and it'll never be tolerated, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, fast forward to preparation for AFCON. 
they do it in the United Arab Emirates, even though it's widely known that in Gabon, there's, you know, cash is not as available as it was maybe uh, four or five years ago. One day before they are set to fly out to Cameroon, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Mario Lamina are being filmed in a nightclub uh, slash restaurant. They say it's a restaurant, but I know it's a nightclub slash restaurant. It's called the Billionaire Club in Dubai. And uh, they're maskless. Okay, I understand you might be eating, but then there was another snap of uh, Aubameyang later who wasn't eating and he was still maskless. Uh, in concordance with Murphy's Law, of course, what can go wrong will go wrong. They test positive upon their... Oh, yeah, before they arrive in uh, Cameroon, they have a, a bonus route. They don't want to step onto the airplane until they receive their 26,000 USD uh, for an appearance fee for this tournament. They finally end up stepping onto the plane. They arrive in Cameroon. They test positive for COVID. Okay, they do uh, cardiac MRIs here in, in Cameroon, and they reveal cardiac lesions. And before they can even play a single match, Mario Lamina and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang are sent home. Officially, because of the cardiac lesions and because they need to do further examinations at their clubs. Unofficially, and upon good authority, this is uh, reporting from uh, L'Union, which is a, a newspaper in Gabon, but also confirmed by some of the Gabonese journalists who I really, really trust. Uh, they were uh, partying uh, one night here in Cameroon, and they came home quite late, and they were the coach uh, basically just sent them home because he didn't want them to be a distraction. It's yeah. extraordinary, isn't it? <laughs> what this means for them, cardiac lesions as well, in terms of their playing uh, careers with their, with their clubs is, I guess, uh, another question. Aubameyang, a bit of a moot point, uh, the way things stand with him and, and Arsenal at the moment. But what about the team in the meantime? Have they been able to do so well without their biggest stars? Yeah, it's 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 quite a funny thing, isn't it? Um, I, I would First of all, I would point to the play of Jim Alavina. He plays for Clermont in France. And he's been incredible. He's the one that scored the last-minute equalizer against Ghana. Uh, he was at the origin of. Uh, he scored one goal against Morocco, and he was at the origin of the other. So he's really been a player that we had been a little bit under the radar before the tournament. We didn't know if he would have um, really the, the playing time to really make an impression after, uh, you know, being in the lineup behind Obama Yang, Denis Boenga, who's a really good player for Saint Etienne in France. But he ended up getting his opportunity, and he pounced on it. And the other player is Aaron Bupenza, who uh, was a had a great time in Turkey last year, and now he's playing in Qatar, but he's also a very underrated player. So sometimes when your star players are, are no longer available, these younger, hungrier players step up to the plate, and I think that's what's happened with Gabon. Absolutely. All right, well, Gabon's round of 16 game is Sunday at 4 o'clock. It's the first of the knockout matches. That's against Burkina Faso. What, what are you most looking forward to, uh, Meher, out of the last 16 games that we've, we've got so far? So if... Uh... If Algeria somehow managed to win this group, uh, which we could if we beat Cote d'Ivoire today 2-0 or 3-0, and there's a draw in the other match between Equatorial Guinea and uh, Sierra Leone. In that case, we could face off against Egypt, which anybody with any elementary knowledge of African football knows is probably one of the biggest derbies in Africa. Knowing that, the winner of that will also face Morocco, which is another North African derby. And right now, hmm. Algeria and Morocco don't exactly see eye to eye over the Western Sahara issue as well. So that, I think, would be incredible. And the other thing I would say is I'm really looking forward to seeing how Vincent Aboubakar progresses as the tournament goes on. He's at five goals in three matches. He's one of those players that we never really thought of as elite, you know, for Cameroon, because they've always they've been so spoiled for, spoiled for choice, really, for strikers. Eto, Mila, and uh, Patrick Mboma. But he's actually fourth in goal scoring for his nation. He scores three more goals. He's going to overtake Patrick Mboma. And he's really transforming his legacy now. He, he scored the, the winning goal in the 2017 AFCON. And if he brings the tournament home here at home in 2022, I think he's going to become a legend and be really on the same uh, platform as those other three. 
Brilliant stuff. All right, Mahir. And uh, you're heading off to see Algeria right now, I imagine. Yeah, my heart is in my stomach. I've not, I've not felt nerves for a match <laughs> like this in so, so long. But uh, it's it's going to be good, you know. Fingers crossed, Mahir. Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll, we'll catch up with you next week, I hope. Sounds good. Very much looking forward to it. Thank you, guys. Mahir Mazahi. Uh, crikey. Well, listen, probably by now you know what's happened in that Algeria game. Lucky you. On that note, we'll come uh, to the end of today's show, listener. You're busy. You've got things to do. Hope you enjoy them. We will, of course, return on Monday with another instalment. If you want to join us for that, that'll be lovely. Have a great weekend in the meantime. Many thanks for now to Tom, Dan, Duncan and producer Charlie and you, listener. And from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.